Welcome to Every Moment His, a podcast dedicated to how God's preached word affects every moment of our daily lives. This sermon was preached by Pastor John Rasmussen at Holy Cross Lutheran Church. Grace, mercy, and peace to each and every one of you in the name of Jesus. Amen. Let's open up our Romans journals to Romans chapter 8. If you're using a pew Bible, that's on page 944. We're going to be spending about four weeks in Romans chapter 8. There's just so much good stuff going on in Romans chapter 8. In fact, I have often thought that Romans chapter 8 is the best chapter in Romans. In fact, maybe even one of the best chapters in the Bible. Um, We can argue about which one's the best chapter, but I think that maybe Romans 8 is it. Uh, In fact, I don't think I'm alone in this. I've heard from other people, man, I love Romans chapter 8. That is like my life chapter, the chapter that I love and that I cherish uh, in particular. You know, as we think about Romans chapter 8, it might be helpful to think about it this way. You know when you're driving in the car and you're listening to the radio, maybe about medium volume, to a song that you like, and maybe you're having a conversation with whoever's in the passenger seat as you drive along, listening to the song. But in a lot of songs, if it's a good song, there's that point where it's like, oh, I got to turn it up, because that's a really good part of the song. For me, it's usually the guitar solo part. Like, so think about a song like, like Freebird or like Stairway to Heaven. Like, there's that part where you're like, we got to turn it up because we got to listen to the guitar solo because it's, it's just great. It's like this climactic part of the song. And, and I want you to kind of think about Romans chapter 8 that way. All of Romans is good, but Romans chapter 8 is where you really need to turn it up. We got to listen clearly because it is kind of Paul bringing together, weaving together all the good things, all the implications of what God has done for us through Jesus and through Jesus Christ alone. Maybe to use a little bit more of a classy example than the song Freebird, um, how about Handel's Messiah? Has anybody here ever attended Handel's Messiah in person? I had the chance to this past Holy Week on Palm Sunday, uh, Merriman had uh, a performance of uh, Handel's Messiah, and I had never been there in person, so I didn't know that when you hear the Hallelujah Chorus, this is the part you all know, even if you've never been to Handel's Messiah, the Hallelujah Chorus, everybody stands up because it's like the best part of the whole entire piece. And so just to kind of help us remember that this is a big deal, Romans chapter 8, let's go ahead and rise as we read Romans 8, 12 through 17. And as we read, I want you to notice two things, because this will be the substance of the sermon. I want you to notice the Holy Spirit just in time for Pentecost next week, right? I want you to notice the Holy Spirit, or simply the Spirit, the third person of the Trinity. And then I want you to notice the family language that Paul's using. He's talking in the language of adoption, sons and daughters, crying, Abba, Father, children of God, heirs and joint heirs, okay? So pay attention for those two things. So Paul says, Romans 8, verse 12, So then, brothers, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. 
But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. This is God's word, and you may be seated. Thanks for bearing with me. Just a little thing that might help you remember that Romans 8 is a big deal. Maybe we'll stand next week too. So uh, the first thing I want to point out to you is the Holy Spirit, the, the work of the Holy Spirit. And if I were to ask you, who is the Holy Spirit? What does the Holy Spirit do? How might you respond to that question? Take a moment to think about that. If, I, if somebody walked up to you and, and, and they didn't know anything about the Christian faith and they said, tell me about the Holy Spirit, what would you say? Maybe you might give a, a catechism answer, thinking back to your own confirmation. You might say, I believe that I cannot by my own reason or strength believe in Jesus Christ, my Lord, or come to him, but the Holy Spirit has called me by the gospel, right? Um, you might have a variety of different answers to that. Who is the Holy Spirit? What does the Holy Spirit do? Now, the interesting thing about the Holy Spirit is that he has been at work silently underneath the surface all throughout Romans. We've heard him mentioned a couple times. In Romans chapter 5, we heard about how the Holy Spirit has been poured out into our hearts, placing the love of God into our hearts. Uh, we've heard about in chapter 7 that we serve in the Spirit and not according to the letter. Uh, we've heard about the Spirit a little bit, but really Paul hasn't yet brought the Holy Spirit out front and center, which he does in chapter 8. But still the Holy Spirit's been at work all the way through, kind of like, you know, like there's a big um, aquifer in Nebraska, you know, like underneath Nebraska is a lot of water, and you see it kind of come out to the top in the Platte River. But um, that's kind of the way we can think about the work of the Holy Spirit, that, that all the way through chapter 1, all the way through chapter 7, the, the Spirit's been at work underneath the surface. He's been, he's been showing us the reality of our sin and convicting us through God's law that we've broken God's law and, and, and showing us that we deeply need a Savior. And then the Spirit's been bringing us and showing us the work of Jesus Christ so that we might have faith. In fact, the Spirit's been giving us faith in the crucified and risen Son of God, Jesus Christ. That's what the Spirit's been doing underneath the surface. And so in a way, the Spirit's been hidden in previous chapters because the Spirit's not pointing to Himself. The Spirit's pointing to the work of Jesus so that you might be justified by grace through faith alone. Do you see that? But now in chapter 8, Paul's going to bring the Holy Spirit to the center stage and talk about the work of the Spirit in the individual Christian's life. So what is the work of the Holy Spirit in your life? Well, Paul can say a lot about the work of the Holy Spirit, and there's plenty that we could say, but I want to kind of boil it down to two things in the text that the Spirit's doing in you. 
The first thing is the word belonging. The Spirit shows us that we belong. He assures us that we belong to the Father on account of Christ. And the second thing the Spirit does is He leads us to become like our Savior, Jesus Christ. That's what the Spirit does. That's what He's up to. So if you want to write in the margin, maybe right next to verses 12 through 17, just simply belonging and becoming. That's what the Spirit's doing. That's what He's up to. That's His work in your life. He's assuring you that, yes, you are a child of God by grace alone through faith in Christ, and that you are, then He's gently leading you to become like the one who saved you. So let's take a look at, at belonging first. I want you to note the family language, the family language that Paul uses as he talks about the Spirit. Start with me at verse 14. It says, for all who are led by the Spirit of God are what? Sons of God. There's some family language. By the way, the word son uh, in the Greek, it doesn't just mean male. It has the idea of sons and daughters. And so if you have your Bible open, there's no text notes in our Romans journal, but if you have your Bible open, likely there's a footnote that says that sons means sons and daughters. It, it's it's both, both genders. So for all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. Now look what he says in verse 15. He says, for you did not receive the Spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of what? Adoption as sons and daughters. Isn't that amazing that, that when Paul, Paul could, tell, could call the spirit anything, but here he chooses to call the Holy Spirit the spirit of adoption, which really means the spirit of belonging, right? Because to be adopted into God's family means that you are safe and you are secure and you belong. That's what families are all about, right? Is belonging. The spirit of adoption as sons. Now, this spirit evokes something in us. It says, the spirit of adoption by sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. Abba is an Aramaic word. Aramaic is a dialect of Hebrew that was spoken by Jesus and the apostles. Uh, and that Aramaic word, Abba, simply means Father. But, but it's a much more intimate word. It's like the word that a child would call Father like Daddy. It's an intimate term. Abba, Father. It's the word that we hear Jesus use as he's in the Garden of Gethsemane praying, Abba, Father. This word of sonship spoken by Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane has now by the Spirit been given to you so that now you call God Father by the Spirit. Let's move on to verse 16. It says, The Spirit Himself bears witness or testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. And so this is what the Spirit does. The Spirit is at work in you, assuring you that yes, the work of Jesus is yours. And yes, the sonship that God has given you in Jesus is yours. That you are not outside of the family, Remember, we have not been given the spirit that leads us to fear and slavery. But the spirit is assuring us that, yes, we too belong to the Father because of the Son. 
The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. Now, I want you to see a couple things here. We need to connect a couple dots here about this belonging to the family of God. I want you to see that the law of God, while it is good, cannot assure you that you belong to the family. When, when you look at the law, there is no assurance that you, believe, that you belong to God's family. Would you agree with that? If you were to measure yourself against those Ten Commandments and what they actually really mean, they actually point the finger at you and say you don't belong, that you shouldn't belong. Not because the law is bad, but because the law is true. If you and I were to base our being sons and daughters of the Father on the basis of the law, none of us in this room would be able to call God Father. In fact, in the Old Testament, we almost never see God referred to as Father. It's a couple times it's hinted at in, for example, Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah. But you see, it's only because of Christ that you can call God Father confidently, only because of Jesus. And so I, I want you to see that, that, that calling God Father, which we're probably all very used to and it's very common to us, is a very precious, sacred thing that we should never take for granted. Nobody has the right to call God Father except those who are bought with the precious blood of Jesus. Because it's only in the person and the work of Jesus, it's only in his broken, crucified, and raised from the dead body that we can stand before God and actually call him Father by the Spirit. So I want you to see how precious of a thing this is. Note that, that God wasn't content just to justify you. You see that? We began this chapter by saying what? There is therefore now no, you know the rest, right? There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That's beautiful news. But you see, God didn't just get you off the hook. God gave you a seat at his table in his family. Wow. That'll blow your mind, right? If we, if we measure ourselves according to the law, we don't belong to God's family. We don't have a seat at his table. The, the law tells us that we should be excluded from God's family, excluded eternally. And, and yet in Christ, we receive this beautiful word spoken to us in the spirit that we have a seat at the table in the Father's house because of Jesus. He wasn't content just to justify us and declare us not guilty, but in our justification, he's actually made us a beloved son and daughter. That's beautiful, isn't it? It's unexpected. It's beautiful. Now, we need to remember this is not a cheap thing. It, it, it's at the expense of the life of the Son of God that you have a seat at the table. And not only is it, is, it, is it not a cheap thing, it's not a universal thing. Let's talk about this for a second. We sometimes, without thinking about it, might think that everyone is a child of God. Now, in a certain sense, that's true. We can talk about God as Father insofar as He is Creator. So that God is the creator of all people, Christians and non-Christians, is in a sense the father of all creation. And so we can say, 
All people are God's children. That's, but Scripture typically doesn't speak that way. In fact, it almost always speaks in this very exclusive way of saying that only those who are baptized and believe in Christ, only those who are redeemed by Christ, only those who have faith in Jesus, only those have the right to be called the children, the sons and the daughters of God, because only those who belong to Christ have a seat at the table, right? And I say that so that maybe we're a little bit more careful in the way that we, we use that, the, that phrase, children of God. It's, it's not just a universal thing. It's a very sacred, sacred thing, a precious thing uh, given to those who are baptized and who believe in Christ. Uh, it's something that we ought to treasure, that we ought to hold dearly. It's not cheap. Uh, I say that so that we would marvel in it, right, and recognize that it is given to us as a very precious thing. Now, we've talked about belonging. Now we're going to move on to the second word, becoming. When you belong to a family, the purpose of belonging to a family isn't just to belong, but to become something, right? That's the whole reason that you, you have a mom and a dad and you're, you're kind of like growing up in a family is because your parents, imperfect as they are, they're, they're, they're striving to shape you into something, that you might grow up to be a wise, productive citizen in this world. Uh, our families are not just places of belonging. They're places of belonging for the sake of also becoming what we're called to be in this life. Now, the same thing is true of the Holy Spirit causing you to become a part of God's family. In the Spirit, you belong to Christ, but also in the Spirit, you are being shaped to become like Jesus Christ. Look with me at verse 14. Paul says, For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. Now, what in the world does that mean? This is where we've got to be a little bit careful because some Christians have gone off into kind of some weird interpretations of this. Uh, they have not read this verse in context. It's always important to read Scripture in light of all the other verses around it, right? But Christians don't always do that. And so when I first heard this verse and learned it, I was taught that to be led by the Spirit means that God kind of messages you in your heart, in your feelings, and tells you what you're supposed to do. Like, where am I supposed to go to college? Spirit's going to lead me. Um, where am, who am I supposed to marry? Spirit's going to lead me. Um, what am I supposed to do with my life? Spirit's going to lead me. That, that can really tie people up in knots and cause them to be really confused and even despair because they're wondering, why isn't the Spirit telling me? Or maybe I thought the Spirit told me and then I got myself in a, in a whole mess or a dead end, you know. Um, and then we're mad at God, right? Because God, you told me. Well, did he? Um, what does it mean to be led by the Spirit? Well, I would hold out to you that, that based on the context here, to be led by the Spirit means to be led to become what God has called you to be in Christ. And we get a picture of that in verse 12 and 13. What does it mean to be led by the Spirit? Paul tells us, verse 12, So then, brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. In other words, because you belong to Christ Jesus, you don't owe your old flesh, your old 
man, your old woman, the old Adam or Eve, anything. But rather, in verse 13, if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. So, in other words, to be led by the Spirit means that you are led by the Spirit to put to death everything old and sinful in you. Those thoughts, those words, those actions, those things that, that you want to do but you ought not do, when you take those things and put them to death before they become actions or words, that's what the Spirit's leading you to do. That's what the Spirit's leading you to become. Those who belong to Jesus are in the process of becoming like Jesus in daily, moment by moment, putting to death those things that conflict with what it means to become like Christ. Really those things that are outside of our identity as Christians. Just so you know that I'm not making it up, let's go ahead and let's go to verse 28 and 29. I want you to see it. Paul is going to spell out for us again the big and the beautiful picture of what God intends for us and what He wants us to become as we belong to His family. Look at verse 28. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to His purpose. Well, what is the good that God's working? What is the purpose that God has for us? What is the Spirit leading us to? Look at verse 29. We get the answer. For those whom He foreknew, He also predestined to what? To be conformed to the image of His Son. That's God's big plan for you. Through all the, the things you endure in life, through all the, uh, the, the, the work that you do out in the world, all the relationships that you have, all those things, all the experiences you have, the Spirit's using those things through His Word to shape you to become more like Jesus Christ, that you might be conformed or shaped into the image of God's Son. That's beautiful, isn't it? You know, when we belong to a family... The truth is that sometimes the purposes that our families have for us are not always purposes that are in our best interest. I remember I had a friend of mine when I was growing up who was an excellent baseball player. He, played, he was on a travel team. He was like playing baseball all the time. And, and his father was always just really hard on him saying, you've got to be a better baseball player. We've got to practice. We've got to get better. Until he got to high school, which would have been like the prime time for his his career leading up to college and maybe a scholarship. This friend of mine threw up his hands and said, I'm done with baseball. Done. Because I don't like it anymore. Burnt out. You know, sometimes our families might have purposes for us that have nothing to do with us. Or, you know, maybe it's the, the, the person, the, the single person who goes home uh, for Christmas every year and mom is like, have you met somebody yet? Maybe that's not God's purpose for my life, right? It's your purpose for me, but, you know, sometimes our families don't always have the greatest purposes for us. The purpose might be more about them than about us. Sometimes we don't have the best purposes for ourselves as we grow up. I mean, we talk a lot these days about I have to be my authentic self or whatever that means. But sometimes that harms us and we don't even know what it means. And we're just kind of meandering through life trying to be myself, whatever that means. 
But I say all that so you can know this. Hear this. The purpose that God has for you in his family, the purpose for which he would have you become, is in your best interest. It's the purpose for which you were created to become like Jesus Christ. Never perfectly in this life. That happens at the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting. But yes, God is at work in the Spirit, assuring you that you belong to Him and then also shaping you to become like His beloved Son. Because to become more and more like Jesus is freedom. To become more and more like Jesus is to become more full of love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and gentleness, goodness, faithfulness, self-control, all those fruits of the Spirit. Jesus is the perfect manifestation of those fruits. And it's the Spirit who continues to sow and reap those things in us so that we become more and more like Jesus. That's the beautiful big purpose that God has for your life. A lot of times we say, what am I supposed to do with my life? Actually, it doesn't really matter much as long as the Spirit's shaping you to become like Jesus, whatever path that might be. Here's my final point. I want to tie together belonging and becoming. In fact, if you wrote belonging and becoming, I'd like you to draw an arrow pointing from belonging to becoming. Because belonging and becoming are, are, are intimately tied together. Because we don't become who God's called us to be apart from the Spirit assuring us that we belong to God. If any of you are in the education world, uh, you might know uh, uh, Maslow's hierarchy of needs, you know, like if you're gonna, if you're gonna learn, if you're gonna grow and thrive in education, there's kind of like some some first things that you need. You you need to uh, be safe, and you need to be secure, right? If you're not safe or secure, you're not gonna grow because you're always kind of in a fight or flight mode. Kind of like Paul talks about the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. That's not a place where you're going to grow into the likeness of Christ. Like I remember in third grade, I knew that my third grade teacher didn't like me. I knew she didn't like me because she yelled at me all the time. And I tell you what, that kind of froze my learning that year, I think. Like, because I'm like, I, I know she doesn't like me. She's putting up with me. And so there's this kind of relationship of insecurity. I'm not really sure if I belong here, so I'm not going to learn much. But do you see what the Spirit does? The Spirit assures us we belong because of what Christ has done, not what we've done. And knowing that we belong, that means we're safe and we're secure in the family of God. And that really just opens up this beautiful world of growth for us. Because when you know that you belong, when you know you're a part of the family, isn't that when we begin to open up? And the Spirit works in us more and more to become like Jesus. Because when we know we belong, we actually begin to love God. And we actually begin to love each other because we're no longer trying to earn it. We're no longer in fear about maybe we won't make it. It's not the spirit of slavery that leads to fear, 
but it's a spirit of adoption that cries out, Abba, Father. So that's Romans 8, 12 through 17. I just want to note a little bit of a preview for next week. Paul ends with this final verse 17. He says that if we're children, then we're heirs, and then heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. And then he says, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. Friends, to belong to Jesus Christ, right, to have the Spirit of God invade your heart and your life and make you belong to Christ, and and then to have the Spirit gradually shape you into becoming like Christ, that leads to groaning and suffering. And that's what we'll talk about next week. Amen. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we gather here today to just rejoice and to give thanks that through Christ and through Christ alone, not on the basis of the law or our performance or our good works, but on the basis of Jesus and Jesus alone, we belong to you. We pray that you would just pour into each of our hearts the spirit that he might bear witness with our spirit that we belong and that we would cry out with confidence, Abba, Father. And from that place of safety and belonging and security, Father, we pray that you would help us to become more and more like your Son, Jesus Christ. It's in his name that we pray. Amen.